All right, let's just start with the word of prayer. Our Father, we um, know that this is a subject that uh, is vast. And uh, Lord, that uh, you are the one who created us, um, male and female, to be in the image of God. And there's so much to unpack there, Lord, but also we want to uh, talk about things that will be a blessing and helpful to others uh, relating to uh, being married and serving as missionaries, and uh, Lord, how to do that well. And so, uh, Father, we humbly come before you and ask for your help, uh, that uh, you would uh, just uh, turn on many light bulbs and, and uh, uh, give uh, wisdom to us, and also, Lord, uh, that there would be really good questions that would uh, uh, help us uh, in areas that maybe we forgot to mention. So we just commit this session to you and ask that uh, you would use it for your kingdom, for your glory, for the joy of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, Becky and I have been married 44 years. That's one of our qualifications for this talk. We we have never given this talk before. Um, So we were quite surprised when we were asked to do this. And I guess our our other qualification is that we're missionaries um, and that uh, at least uh, we're happy. We're happy. You have to believe us on that. Um, now, uh, this talk would have been much easier if I could have done this myself. <laughs> we actually had several fights getting this talk ready. So I don't want to give you a false impression about uh, that our marriage is conflict-free. That's not true at all. But we do. Uh, the Lord uses uh, disagreement and conflict uh, to help us uh, arrive at... Uh, at truth, and uh, we'll talk about a lot of that. So this is our family, not not all of it. We have one son missing here with his kids. This is two-thirds of our children. Um, our oldest daughter is in the uh, blue uh, bathing suit there. Our son, uh, oldest son is in the Coca-Cola shirt, and uh, his wife is next to him. And uh, then uh, that's their three children, and our youngest son is in Charlotte, uh, with his uh, wife and three more children. So we hope to see them uh, tomorrow, actually. And that will be very fun for us. So um, we, uh, want, I want our objectives are that we might uh, try to agree on the definition of a healthy Christian marriage. And uh, we'll, we'll spend just a little time uh, talking about that uh, before we get into more practical or, or stories and illustrations. Um, and uh, secondly, we want to describe the unique, unique challenges to missionary marriages. And uh, we may at times seem like we're getting a little bit afield, but they're, they're, we're trying to discuss the challenges that, that uh, relate directly or that affect our marriages. And the third is to know just sort of ten helpful ways uh, to maintain healthy missionary marriages. There are probably about 50. Uh, we picked ten. And, uh, but we, we think uh, they're important. Um, I, I want to take, uh, oh, just for, for our references, rather than do this at the end, uh, just uh, you can, there's wonderful resources out there, and we use these, we read these. Uh, the Meaning of Marriage, uh, Complexities of Commitment with the Wisdom of God by Tim Keller is a wonderful book. Uh, many of you may have already read it. Another one, uh, more recent, is uh, uh, Engendered, God's Gift of Gendered, Gender Difference in Relationship by um, Sam Andreades, and then uh, two books uh, that are really a lot of fun, Screams in the Desert, for those of you who 
may not know, there was a very famous devotional called Streams in the Desert. Uh, this is Screams in the Desert and More Screams Different Desert by Sue, Sue Einingenberg. Um, so please uh, uh, read those books if you get a chance. Uh, you'll, you'll, they're just full, full of uh, wonderful stuff. Now, l- l- just uh, want to take a few minutes to try and uh, talk about the basics. I, I have to confess to you that when I got married, I did not know these things. Um, so these are not, in our culture, uh, they're not things that we learn from our culture, for sure. Our culture has defined marriage as a private arrangement for the satisfaction of both partners. But that is not what the Bible teaches. Uh, rather, it is the Bible teaches that it is husbands, marriage is husbands and wives serving each other and giving themselves up for one another. Um, so when I married Becky 44 years ago, um, I was just totally uh, blown away by her beauty, and she was sexy, and she was just so cool, and I just thought, wow, she is just going to do so much for me. That's really the way I thought. Um, wasn't really a trophy wife, but uh, that, that was my thinking, and that is what our culture now especially is teaching us increasingly. That marriage is for my satisfaction, and, and so if we're both happy, then we have a happy marriage. Wrong. That's, that's the recipe for a probably um, very difficult and unhappy marriage. A second thing is that um, the Bible measures love by how much you are willing to give of yourself to someone else. That's how the Bible measures love. We, we see that in the way that Jesus came and died for us on the cross. We, we see it throughout Scripture and throughout teaching. The Bible is quite clear that love, and not just marital love, is measured by how much we are willing to sacrifice for another person. And um, that, that is not the way that um, our, our culture functions, and that is not the way our sinful natures function. Uh, Going on this, and these are all quotes from uh, Tim Keller's book. These, I, these are not original with me. I don't, uh, I'm not that smart. So what, uh, marriage is, is not a private arrangement. The Bible measures love uh, by how much you are willing to sacrifice. But the third point I want to make, uh, and, and there are four points that I'm, I'm taking from Tim Keller's book, is that your marriage must be more important to you than anything else other than your relationship to God. No other human being should get more of your love, your energy, your identity, uh, your industry, and uh, your commitment than your spouse. Um, Pretty tough in our culture. Tough on the mission field, I can guarantee it. Uh, Tough in any situation where there are people demanding your time who might be dying. More people than you can possibly treat or satisfy. So um, this is an important rule to keep in the back of your mind. It's, it's hard to do, but uh, if we keep coming back to it, it, it can really uh, do much to, to bless your marriage. And um, the fourth thing from Tim Keller that I'm going to quote, there's many, many things in his book, but I just picked out four. Marriage was created to be a reflection on a human level of our ultimate love relationship and union with the Lord. It is a sign and a foretaste of the future kingdom of God. So marriage reflects who God is. 
it, he created us male and female in his image. So um, uh, uh, one of us, just, just men, if we had a world full of men, that would not reflect God. If we had a world full of only women, that would not reflect God. It's men and women together in relationship that reflects the person of God. So it is a clear reference to the nature of God where each member of the Trinity is serving and sacrificing for the other. That doesn't only occur in marriage. That can occur on a team. That can, a term, can occur between close friends. So, uh, but marriage is perhaps the most intimate uh, uh, relationship uh, that we have. Now, gender is not an accident um, of creation. Gender matters in relationship because it is the cause of marriage. And it is a deliberate reflection of the nature of God. God made gender, as we've already mentioned. So, um, as with the Trinity, men and women are equal in status, but different in their roles. And this is very important for us, because we, we, in our culture, there are certain roles. The roles have been changed very fast. Um, in, in marriages. And, and so older, older married couples, you know, it's like, oh my goodness, look what you know, he's doing, look what she's doing. Uh, but roles is really uh, not defined in the Bible, except in very general terms. Specific roles, like child rearing and washing dishes and changing diapers, uh, those are defined by culture. And uh, so uh, it's, it's important to remember that. There are demands... Uh, on us in, in mission situations, living in foreign countries, that uh, force us sometimes into roles that we don't like, but because it's the culture, in public we will assume that role perhaps or pay some service to it so as not to be offensive. But inside our homes, those roles don't, it's what, what God is showing us we need to do to sacrifice for one another. So, um, as with the Trinity, men and women are equal in status but different in their roles. Keep, keep that in the back of your mind. Gender is not just about procreation. It is about intimacy and, and procreation. So gender was given to us to foster intimacy. It was also given to us uh, for procreation. And uh, finally, I've, as, as, as I've already mentioned, the Bible does not say a man is this. And a woman is that. But rather, man, do this for her. Woman, do that for him. It is clearer on action than on essence. So, I mean, that to me is, is really an important point. It's, it's clearer on action than it is on essence. So, God speaks to both husband and wife, and now I'm going to let Becky speak. One of the things when I was in 11th grade, that is when I heard very clearly from, from God, he really gave me a burden for missions. I grew up, both of us are MKs, we grew up on the mission field, but I didn't know what God wanted me to do until I was in 11th grade, and he just really laid a burden on my heart, not in a dramatic way, uh, to be a missionary nurse. And so I knew, that this, and I remember telling my mother, and she really encouraged me, now, when I went into college, I knew that he had called me to that. And so the guys that I, I started dating, 
that I was really looking at what their passion was. And I had my little checklist, you know. What, number one, I wanted to be with somebody who loved God passionately and somebody who had also heard from God. Now, I had been um, on the mission field as a child, not as an adult, and I saw that it wasn't always an easy life. And I thought, if I marry someone who has not heard from God, and I get out there, just, and he marries me just, and goes with me just because I heard from God, it would never last. He would start to resent me. We would have to come back home. And so this was a big deal for me. Um, and I think it's really important for you singles out there, if you feel that God is calling you to overseas ministries, one of the most important choices you can make is the person you choose to go with. And I think it's very important that he has also, he or she has also heard God's call. Very, very important. And I will come back to that. Uh, I know that you had a, a lecture on the call of God, whatever word you want to use. God gave me um, a burden to go, and I knew that this is what he wanted me to do. And I remember telling my mother, and she said to me, you heard from God. And so whenever I would get kind of off base with guys that I was dating, she would say, what is it that God wants you to do? God speaks to men and women. And we have found this out in our marriage, and we want to give just several instances of... Um, of what, how this was so. Now, a really scary picture way back in the beginning. <laughs> Our kids think this is really a strange picture. Um, my mom gave Dave that jacket, so he had to wear it. This is our first prayer card. Um, we went trusting God. We had no clue what was in front of us. We had never gone on a missions trip to where we were going. Sight unseen, we went. Trusting God. And um, before we actually went, we, our mission called us. We were, first of all, assigned to a completely different place. We had grown up in Southeast Asia. We'd always thought we'd go back to Southeast Asia. But that door closed, and so we were given two options in Africa. And we thought, who would go to Africa? You know, people are really strange who go to Africa. I didn't want to go. To, I didn't love anybody from Africa. I never met anybody from Africa. And so we thought, this surely is not God's will for us. And so we really prayed about it. But we were given two choices. Gabon, we never heard of it. We had to find a map, and sure enough, it was there. Um, and Or Zaire at the time, which is now the DRC, the Democratic Republic of Congo. And so we prayed, and we prayed. And Dave was in residency. I was home with our daughter, Rachel, who was an, a, an infant. And we prayed. And we have found that uh, before we make a decision... God speaks to both of us, and he gives us peace, and not, not necessarily to both of us at the same time, but he gives us a peace that he has spoken. And so I remember the day that Dave came back from um, his residency for, from that day of work at the hospital, and I said to him, I went right into the door, I said, I know, I know. And he was going to tell me the same thing. And God had given us a real peace about Gabon. It was going to be a new work. There was no hospital in Zaire. There was already a hospital that maybe had a lot of problems. We didn't know. But God gave us a real peace about the country of Gabon. And so that is how we knew that this is where God wanted us to go. He spoke to both of us. Um, however, that doesn't mean that we men accept that easily. 
Uh, I went down to the, after we'd been in Gabon for a year studying, uh, we'd studied French and tropical and did tropical medicine in, in Europe for almost uh, two years. And then we, we came to Gabon and we were studying a tribal language too, another one. Um, and then uh, as we got to the end of that, I was invited to go to a hospital down in the Congo and sort of see how, you know, it, it worked and how it could work. So I went down there and it was very instructive, spent a month down there while uh, Becky was up in, in Gabon with our daughter. And then um, we had, we, our dream had always been, my dream had been to go back to Cambodia where my parents were missionaries. I knew the Cambodian people were unreached and so forth. And so just as I was ready to start on our trip back to Gabon, I got a telegram from World Vision. And they said, we have gotten permission to go back into Cambodia uh, to a hospital that we started to build there with the Alliance, our mission. And um, would you be willing to go there, move there, and uh, you would have to go in first by yourself, and, but then you could come out every, after every three weeks and spend a week with your, your, your family uh, maybe in Singapore or somewhere else, and, and go back in. It's going to be very uh, hard, but we need someone who speaks French and who's got some surgical training. And I thought, praise the Lord. He's called us. He's calling us to, uh, to Cambodia. So I, uh, you know, I thought, Becky is going to agree with this. I mean, this is what her dream was, too. I don't need to check with her. I'll just send him a telegram and say, yes, we're coming. Oh, you guys are smarter than I thought. <laughs> so I, that's what I did. I came back and I told uh, Becky, I said, guess what? We're going to Cambodia. And she looked at me and she said, what are you talking about? I said, so I told her the story. She said, well, you can go if you want, but I'm not going. <laughs> I mean, could you believe that? Talk about the unsubmissive wife. <laughs> I, began to, I began to pray for her. I said, Lord in heaven, please change her attitude. And I started packing. And she did not lift a finger. So after about two weeks, I'd packed maybe four barrels, and it wasn't looking good. We weren't speaking to each other um, very much. And uh, so uh, I finally said, uh, look, we, we've got we've to come to some kind of an agreement here. And so uh, our field director was pretty upset with us, too. And so we sat down, and we said, uh, I said, all right, how about this? If, if um, our mission leaders say that they're in full agreement, and if God provides someone to come and take my place at the hospital, can we say that, that God has confirmed it? And uh, he said, yes. I said, okay, see? <laughs> and Becky just looked at me like, you know, she wanted to kill me. Um, so time went on, and we got to down to about three weeks before we were supposed to leave. Uh, she was still not lifting a finger to pack anything. Um, and... Uh, all of a sudden, the doctor who had said he was going to come and fill in for us said he couldn't come. There was a medical emergency that he had. He couldn't come. And our mission leader said, this is probably not a good idea. So the whole thing collapsed. And, um, you know, as, as um, we guys are we're slow, but we're, we're intelligent. And so as I reflected back on this, I realized that this was a mistake on my part, not my wife's part. Uh, can you imagine that, that I came to that understanding? But uh, this really is an important issue. We, and, and for me, that was the last time I tried anything like that. I, I really realized that I cannot assume just for my wife what God is calling us to do. He speaks to both of us. So 
Um, fast forward 35 years. We served for 35 years in Gabon, and we were sort of on a nice trajectory for retirement. We had younger team members there who were taking up a lot of the heavy lifting, and, and uh, it was great. God had blessed the hospital with 150 beds, and all of our dreams were coming true and so forth. PACs had been started. And, um, and uh, all of a sudden, I, um, I got a, an email from the Anglican Bishop of Egypt, and North Africa, and he said, uh, Dear Dr. Thompson, we've heard about PACS, Pan-African Academy of Christian Surgeons, your training and discipling surgeons, and could you come and do a program at our hospital in the Nile Delta? And, uh, well, I, I wrote back and I said, I can come and inspect it. I can't come and work there. And so we, I said to Becky, let's go and see the pyramids too, and we'll have some fun. And so we, we went up there to inspect the hospital. Another surgeon came from the U.S. from the PAX board, and we inspected the hospital and it, uh, met the, the bishop. He was uh, just a wonderful man of God. And, and uh, the Anglican Church in Egypt is very outward-looking. Uh, it's evangelistic and very biblical. So it was exciting. And uh, we said, you know, you've got everything that's, that's required to, to be a PAX uh, training hospital. You're, you're trying to reach out to, to Muslims, even though it's difficult. You're, you, you treat the poor. You have good facilities and so forth. So um, we said, you need to get two board-certified American surgeons now to come and lead the program. And the bishop said, oh, that, that's going to be hard. And so um, we said, well, that, you know, that's, we'll pray with you and, and we'll try and help you find somebody. And so he was, we were driving to the airport, and the bishop was riding with us, and he said, this was the next day, he said, you know, our, our leadership has been talking, and we met together, and uh, we really think that you would be the best person to start the program here. And I just laughed. I said, do you realize how old I am, bishop? I said, I, at that time, I was 60, 64 years old. I said, we're, we're not, we, we can't look, come and learn Arabic at this age, and, and you need somebody younger to do this. He said, you know what? He said, this is going to be very difficult because the hospital has been run by Egyptians for 30 years. You're going to have to make a lot of changes. It's going to require some white hair, and you qualify. <laughs> and I just said, you know, uh, listen, Bishop, you know, I, I have to, I'm one of the surgeons at the hospital in Bangalore. They need me there. Becky is the director of the nursing school. He said, oh, oh, we need a nursing school too. <laughs> and uh, I said, no, no, no. And, and both of us said no. So as we left, he said, could I, could I pray for you? And uh, we said, we said, sure. He said, uh, I said, what, what do you mean by that? I'm going to pray that God changes your mind. <laughs> It'll never happen, Bishop. I can tell you this will not happen. He said, okay, bye. And uh, we got on the plane, got back to Gabon, and I could not get Egypt off my brain. I would, you know, every morning I had time with the Lord. I get up early. I, I, I read the Bible and I pray and I'm reading the Bible and all I could think of was Egypt and and I'd try to pray and I just. Egypt, and, and it just was really irritating, and I kept, you know, trying to get down to the Word and, and talking to God about important things, and, and <laughs> Egypt just kept, finally, after about two weeks of this, um, I said, Lord, are you, are you talking, is this you? And the Lord said, yes! <laughs> I want you to go to Egypt. Wow, I thought, what in the world am I going to say to Becky? Um, so I went to Becky when she was in a really good mood. And I said, honey, I think, God, God, uh, I think God wants us to go to Egypt. And she said, what? Are you kidding? You, you're crazy. You just want to go see the pyramids again and move. You're always wanting to move and travel. And it didn't go well. It really went badly. And, um, 
So I, I said, uh, all right, all right, uh, w- would you pray about it? And she said, all right, I will pray about it, but don't ask me. I will tell you when I'm ready to give you an answer. And that was really hard because one month went by, two months went by. I thought, is she really praying? <laughs> but I, I did not dare ask her. So I just said, Lord, please help her to pray. Anyway, after about two months, she came to me and she said, I think that you're right. I think God is asking us to go to Egypt, but we need to have confirmation both for us and for our team. So if God wants us to go, let's pray that he sends someone to take your place and someone to take my place. And if if God does that, we know that we're supposed to go. And I thought, oh, great. Yeah, sure. You know, we've been trying to do this for 10 years. This is never going to happen. But we started praying. We told our team. They were a bit rattled, but they started praying too. Within one month, got an email from Samaritan's Purse. They said, we have a surgeon-surgeon couple. Could you use them? And, of course, we said, well, yes, yes, we certainly could. A month or two later, our, our mission called and said, uh, sent an email, and they said, we have a nurse who wants to come out and work in the nursing school. So we had no more excuses. We knew that was God's confirmation. So, you know, it, it, it takes time for, for God to speak to both of us, and there are reasons for that. Um, and it, it requires patience. So I'll give Becky the microphone. Okay, and so we went sight unseen. We had never made a, mich- um, a little short-term trip to see what it looked like. Um, we got on a, a freighter after going to French language school in France and tropical medicine in Belgium. Got to Gabon, and we were really impressed with the roads, you know. They were paved and went down. They had a few potholes. And, and then the pavement ran out. It's, we're right in the rainforest, and so we get 10 feet of rain a year, and it turned to this. Uh, the bridges were exciting. You'd have to stop and kind of make sure that they were solid because they were wood. So I'm, as we're going down further and further south, I'd never seen this. I thought, what have we gotten ourselves into? Um, little snacks along the way. And they finally said, don't worry. When you come to the place where you're going to live, there's a ferry. Now, I don't know what you think of a ferry, but I thought, in the evening, as we drove up to this, I thought, that is not a ferry. That is a raft. And for the next 16 years, this is how we got across the river. So just getting there was a huge challenge, and it took a long time before we had a bridge. So what we will be coming back to as we tell you the challenges of missionary marriage is don't forget your call. As you go, you're going to experience a lot of hard things. But remember why you are there. You are there to make Christ known. In whatever gifts he has given you, you're there to make Christ known. It really will be your classroom where he starts to change you to become more and more like Jesus. And remember this. He is with you. Go, remember why you were there, and that he is with you. So we want to just go through some of the special stresses that you will have. This is not a complete list, but this is what came to mind first. Um, mission, uh, marriages are stressful anyway, but these are extra stresses on the mission field that you will go through together. Strange, unknown environment, culture shock, living in a fishbowl, unrealistic expectation language, children, schooling issues, team dynamics, which is your new family, ministry, and overwhelming needs. So just to start out with the strange, unknown environment, this became our home. 
Um, it was very isolated. There was no bridge. And so to get across, you know, you had that ferry. You had to actually pull yourself across. Um, we had army ants. We had snakes. We lived in the rainforest. Spiders in our house. You know, how do you live there in this very isolated place, this scary place? Well, one of the first things that we met, that I met as a, and here I have a young child, I'm thinking, these army ants, these driver ants, they're everywhere. And if you see a line like this, you know you have to jump over or they will just run up your pants. And I'm thinking, my nightmare was, my daughter, I'm not going to hear her some night. These ants are going to come. They're going to hurt her. How am I going to live in this environment? And how do I going to trust God? For my children. And it wasn't really until the last year that we were there, the the fourth year we were there, our youngest son was born. um, And as as I knew, I was almost to the point where I was going to deliver him. We went down to the hospital. I walked past all of the other mothers, the Gabonese mothers, who really wanted to see this white child. And I said, just let me get in there first. Um, Went in. Jeremy Glenn was born. Beautiful baby. I showed him, to, showed him off to these mothers, these new mothers, as we came out. And then I walked out, and I stepped right in a column of driver ants. And I was holding my child. I could not see this, this line. And they started running up my legs. And as I'm giving Dave, our newborn son, I'm thinking, I'm asking the question, what in the world am I doing in this place having my baby? And I had to go back to my call. Why am I here? And who is with me? My son survived. There he is in my mixing bowl. He is now a six-foot-four father of three, and he did survive. God is with us. Remember why you are there and who is with you. We also had, in the rainforest, we had a lot of snakes. Another big challenge for us as a couple, are we going to trust God for our children our first son had been born just soon after we got there. And I remember struggling with this issue. You know, am I going to be a mother who hovers? Is that what I was called here to do, to hover over my children? Or am I going to really step out, teach them? I mean, rule number one was watch where you walk. And they really did most of the time. But this one time, um, when, when Joshua was eight, he was running, he was leading the, the charge with his African friends over our hillside, jumping. And honest mom, he says, I was in the air, and I look, and there's a black snake right where I'm going to land. He landed right on the snake. It, just gives me, it still gives me chills when I tell this story. He landed on the snake, and his African friends are trying to help him. The snake, he's screaming. He knows they're dangerous. He knows they're poisonous there. It's wrapping itself around him. He grabs a hold of it, and he throws it really hard over the next one. And he landed on it again the second time. And now he's going, sorry to cry, come running, running up the hill to tell me he's going to die. And his friends now see the snake isn't moving. And they call him back. And they get a stick, and they start poking at the silly thing. And they realize, I don't know if it was the first time or the second time, but he had smashed the head of the snake, and it was dead. So now they bring it up to show me, of course, you know. 
And I'm in my, we don't have glass in our, in our windows because it's so hot, just screens. And I'm doing my lesson plans, and they bring it right up to the, to the screen. They say, look. And, of course, you know what I did. <laughs> but as I realized I really had my son's attention, you know, that time you don't always have it, I was able to say to him, do you see what God did to you? When I heard the story, what a miracle that God saved you, that you were not hurt. And he's like, yeah, Mom, can we measure it? You know, we have to put it out. <laughs> so we got it out. It was a six-foot cobra. So what my point is, okay, God knows about your children. He loves your children. He, he, he knew about them before you had them. He is with you. He is with your children. And this is him. He came back later standing over at that bank. He said, I want to show my sons. He's a father of three sons. And he said, I want them to know this is where I knew that God was real. He wasn't just my parents' God. He's my God, too. He's able to take care of them. So, you know, you in the rainforest and God, you are not alone. Remember where, where, why you were there. And who is with you? Now, you might end up in a, in a city. You might not end up in a rainforest. That's where we are now. We are in a city. They told us it was like a t- just a little town, village, you know, 400,000, not very big. Well, I thought, I can show you a village. This is not a village. Um, so we are in a place that is very different. It's an unknown environment, traffic day and night, noise day and night. We have a sound machine that has jungle noises so we can sleep. Uh, so pe- people everywhere, and we're learning to hear God in the chaos around us. It is such a different place. And so I just really like this quote from Screams in the Desert. Sometimes we need to keep our eyes open and enjoy the view, and other times we may need to close our eyes and pray. About a month after, before we came back to the U.S. in May, I was on a trip back from Cairo to, uh, purchasing things going to Manufas, we're about two hours away, and our hospital driver is hurtling down the road as fast as he can go in that chaos. And I called Dave. I said, I said to him, honey, I really love you. I don't think I'm going to see you again. I'm going to see Jesus. I was just about ready to cry. And he says, no, I'm sure you're going to see me. You know, it's going to be okay. Um, but I didn't know. I mean, we were taking so many risks. Sometimes... You need to just close your eyes and pray. You and the city and God. But remember why you were there and who was with you. And praise God I made it. But there's many, many chances to um, trust God in your situation. So strange, hostile environments can be a real stress on marriages, on families. But remember why you're there and who was with you. Um, culture shock, life in a fishbowl. You know, culture shock is when, okay, you first get to a different country and it's kind of cool, you know, all these different things, and wow, this is an adventure. And then things start to kind of irritate you, things that are so different from here, from where you're really comfortable. And I think even as an MK and also as a missionary, and I've seen it in my own children, one of the hardest things is being so different and people are looking at you all the time kind of poking you to make sure, you know, what are you, holding your hair, you know, touching you. And it's really difficult. You, you feel like you're in a fishbowl. You never fit in. Um, life is no longer private. 
And this is something that as a family, as a couple, that we need, we're in that fishbowl together and we can discuss it. Don't assume things as you're, as you're facing different cultures. You can assume the worst thing about a culture and perhaps you're not even understanding it. You need to ask what's going on. Things aren't always as they seem. You may have seen this picture. What you're seeing, you think you're seeing the camels, but the camels, those are just the reflections of the camel. The camels are the little white things there. You know, they don't always, it's not always as, as they seem. I know in Gabon, where we were for 35 years, I thought, man, these guys, they don't have, in, in church, you know, where are their wives? Where are their families? And then I had, to, I learned that, in that culture, men were very rarely with their wives. They didn't help their wives. You know, the wives had a job. They had a job. They sat on different sides of the church. And it wasn't sometimes until years later I found out, that's your wife? You know, they never were together. And as we're in a different culture, you know, we can, we can um, admire the culture, but we don't necessarily have to model it. And this is one thing that we felt we would do a lot of things together, and we felt that this was modeling what a Christian marriage was. You know, we help each other. We're, encouraged, we're one person, and this is what it looks like in a Christian marriage. Living in a fishbowl, now we're living in a different place uh, in Egypt. Um, there's not any public display of affection. A lot of times the women walk behind the men. Well, we don't do that unless we're kind of trying, going through a very crowded area, and you have to to get by. But it's just a very, very different place. So we help each other. There's men's coffee houses and, and then mixed coffee houses. You know, it's, you know, you can just rise up and say, this is not fair. And, but we are there. We have to remember why we are there. We are there to make Christ known. Everything's new again. Um, for our first Thanksgiving, we were the only white people, the only people from this, from, uh, this country for a whole year in that city of Maynooth. And we were like, well, Dave says, we're like rock stars. We go down, the, not really, but we go down the street and everyone's following us because they, they just have never seen such white people. We just looked really out of place, I think. And they're trying to talk with us. What is your name? You know, and I went, and we would try to answer in Arabic. We're trying to communicate in Arabic. But for Thanksgiving, we thought, okay, what do we do? We're all alone. We just feel kind of lonely. We're going to have all the people who live on, we live on the roof of the hospital, by the way, right over the OR. You know, I go, come up for lunch. <laughs> but we live on the roof, and some of our other friends live on the roof. So we thought, for Thanksgiving, we'll, we'll, we will invite them, and we'll say, we call them, it's the Fellowship of the Roof. Well, they didn't get it. You know, they didn't know Fellowship of the Rings. So, but we had our Thanksgiving. They didn't, they really didn't understand what it was, and tried to explain, but culture shock, you know, there's a lot of things that are very different, and so it takes time together as we live in the fishbowl to understand and to realize that we are there to make Christ known, to fit in as we can, to model a Christian marriage, but to make uh, Jesus known. Unrealistic expectations, um, I think when we have first arrived Okay, I can tell you what my expectation was. I am going to go. I thought, I'm not going to have a problem. I'm an MK. But I've never lived as an adult MK. I'm going to be a super wife to my husband. I'm going to take care of him. I'm going to take care of my daughter. I know how to live. You know, I've lived in other places. Um, I am going to, I'm a nurse. I'm going to be a very efficient nurse, the best nurse that I can be. 
uh, a missionary. I want to make Christ known. And I'm getting there and I can't even talk. You know, and I'm, I'm talking like a child. And I thought, and my expectation, I don't think anyone else put it on me, but it was my own. And I realized that uh, I needed a lot of help. And then sometimes it's hard to ask for help. Um, you can be exhausting. You, you can you can um, you can burn out quickly. Life just is really difficult sometimes. Um, a mother's work is never done. This is actually how we had to do the wash when we first got there. These regular washing machines. It took full, so long just to live. I thought, when am I going to get to my ministry? And this was really difficult for me as a woman. Um, I wanted to do everything, and I couldn't. Um, this is where I, I so appreciated Dave, and he really ministered to me. As we were both working and doing different things, he helped me. Um, when we were in language study, he would help do dishes, and I was like, first of all, it made me feel like I wasn't doing my part. But then I realized he was serving me, so I wouldn't have to be so exhausted. I was so grateful. So I would say um, one thing that really helps Help each other as you go through culture shock and the unrealistic expectations that probably you have. This is Jolly Green Giant and Sweet Pea. Um, But accept help. Accept help. Accept help from your husband. Accept accept help from your team members. Accept help from uh, people from your host country that you trust. That does not make you less of a person. You are, you're there to learn. You're there to give. You're there to become more like Jesus in that culture. So our first five years of marriage, we survived. We were so grateful. When we went home, we came with one, and now we had three children. Language study. Yeah, you know, one of the hardest things about language study for men is that we don't do it as well as our wives or as other women on the team. I mean, that's you, you, you um, maybe you didn't know that, but you're going to find it out if you ever uh, are on a team with women or you're married to one. Uh, your kids will really embarrass you because they learn so fast. But, but to be struggling to speak, uh, and while your wife is just chattering away, is, is um, it's pretty humbling. Um, now, it doesn't always work that way, but I would say the majority of the time it's like that. So men, don't get used to your wives learning uh, to speak faster or better. Uh, it's really hard for a doctor. I mean, you know, everyone knows doctors are superior to nurses. Uh, so when <laughs> the nurse can speak better than you, it's quite embarrassing. Um, but uh, I, I, we, did, um, we did come to terms with this. And, uh, you know, we, the other thing is we, we learn to laugh often. And it's really important, and especially in language study, to laugh at yourself because you make such crazy mistakes. Um, one of the, there are these words that you, you would not say in English. For example, the word in, in Arabic for winter is um, shita. So, you know, we, we would say, the teacher would say, you know, we would say shita. And the teacher, no, no, it's shita. And you're, we're trying not to laugh, but you have to laugh. You have to laugh. And, and you have to use the word, too, without laughing. Um, so that's just an example of it. Uh, Becky was, uh, uh, had a little more time for language study than I did, and she made excellent pro- progress. 
But um, keep learning. Keep the student attitude. Don't don't think that you ever know it all. And it, it, you know, part of uh, being able to learn is is humbling yourself and and accepting that you are a student. Doesn't matter how old you are, you can humble yourself to learn a language. So children's issues. Um, there's so much to say on this. I'm just going to kind of go through it quickly. Um, one thing I would say, really important, if you're going out with children, even if you don't have children yet, talk about it. Talk about it before you go out because it will be an issue. Talk about where your, your children will be schooled or how that's going to work. Uh, it'll be an issue until they're out of college, okay? Your children are still your children. One um, quote that I really liked from More Screams, Different Desert is that when God calls us into ministry, he is also, it means he is also calling our children. He's not surprised that we have children, and he's big enough to take care of them and to take care of them well. So be encouraged. We were very um, fortunate when our daughter went to school. Our little son, Joshua, really wanted to go too, and we had a most amazing MK teacher And she saw that, and so she said, you know what, you can come. He was only like four. You can come for half an hour before they start. And she did a special little thing just for him. She was amazing. So there they are, and then many years later, here they are again. He just saw her. He just saw her in Los Angeles in May and just loved on her and thanked her so much for how much she instilled in him. Um, the, the school can look kind of like this. Even a homeschooling situation can look like this because they could have different uh, grades in, in one classroom. So with your kids, uh, eat together. Really important, eat together. Our meals sometimes were at really odd hours because we would wait for Dad to come home. Really important to be together. Sometimes when they're little, you can't do that. But when they get older, if it's possible, it's a time when your family's together. It makes the bond stronger. You debrief at the table. You ask how everyone's doing. And it's just a, it was always one of our kids' favorite time. We'd have long meals because we wanted to talk together. Uh, celebrate together and do that often. Read together. I'm doing it fast so you guys just see a little bit of our lives. Make memories. This is really funny because you see the fireplace and the fan. This is in the middle of the rainforest. Um, play together. We would go, one of our, our things that we did to bond our family, uh, we went to the beach uh, every time, about a week before Christmas every year. We would go to the beach and play together, have tents. And one of, the, one of our favorite, mem- well, kind of a good memory, kind of a bad memory, we always had these really huge storms that would come off, off the, the ocean and we were right there, and so our tent inevitably would blow down, or the ridge pole would break, and Dave would have to hold it up. And I remember sleeping, going sleeping, and we knew that the ridge pole had broken. Every time we'd open up our eyes, there he was. He was still holding it up. So um, they knew their dad was really, really powerful and brave, and I appreciated him from protecting us. I think one of the hardest things actually for us was after our children came back to the United States. Because that was really, I didn't feel right. I was still a mother, and yet my children were not with me. Um, And so just it's a major adjustment, and you need to invest in the two of you when that time comes. And we had to do that very intentionally. Otherwise, your work will just swallow you up. Team dynamics. Your new family. I just want to say something on this slide, and I'll give it to David. Um, 
If you have been out, if you have been a missionary and out of the country on a team more than a month, you will realize, okay, there's this thing called the team. It can be really good or it can be, to your shock, you can realize that it can be a source of problems. You have, here are these people that you think that you're, it's going to be your family and they could be a source of conflict and misunderstandings. You really need to invest in your team. They're the people that God has put around you for a reason. And they're the people that God wants to work through also together with you to make Christ known. Now, one thing that I, I learned pretty quickly, I remember coming back from the beach on one of these vacations. And it was right, Christmas was right next, it was right after that. I worked and worked and worked and did a fantastic dinner put it on for my family and sat down, and God really convicted me. I thought, oh, my goodness, we have singles on our team. What am I doing? You know, say, your family is really important, but it's not sacred. God opened my eyes to my whole team, and, and that was the very last Christmas dinner we ever had it alone as a family. The rest of the time that we were there, the whole team was at our, family, at our at Christmas dinner. That's what... People came to the Thompson house for Christmas, especially the singles. It's a really lonely time. It's a really important time to, to include them and to encourage them. These were part of our support system. These were our children's missionary aunts and uncles, and they were at our Christmas uh, dinner table. Um, one of the truly shocking surprises of missionary life and family life is that God puts on every team a porcupine. Every team that I've ever been on, a porcupine. This is somebody that is very difficult to get along with. They're just irritating. They don't know, you know, the rules very well. They talk too much or they get upset. And, and so everyone, you kind of tiptoeing around these people. That, and, and my first tendency was... We've got to get rid of these people. I mean, they're a problem on this team. We've got to kick them out. We've got to move them on somewhere else, put them on someone else's team, anybody's team, but not my team, because we want to all get along and be happy. That is not God's way. That is not the way of the cross. Matter of fact, it turns out, if you get rid of the porcupine, you will be paying for it for years. The scars are very deep when you get rid of a porcupine because it turns out that as soon as you get rid of that porcupine, there's another one. And then the worst thing of all is when you discover that you're the porcupine. (laughs) Now, it can change. It can be just certain periods of your life. You know, you were doing really well and then you got into a stressful time and and maybe, you know, you and your wife are struggling uh, over some issues and you become a porcupine. So I just want to encourage you to remember that um, porcupines pay, play very important role. God has put them there for a purpose. There is a reason. And very often they do a job that no one else either wants to do or can do as well as they do. And if, if, you know, if you allow God to just give you love for that person, you pray for that person, you help them, you bless them, uh, very often they, they kind of pull their quills in a little bit and, and they get to be... Um, 
actually quite useful and helpful. Um, they're always porcupines, but they're not quite as uh, irritating. So uh, just just keep that in mind um, when you're on a team and you find that somebody – just remember that this is really important for you, uh, even in your marriage, because – uh, there can be so much tension. Uh, one, of the, one of you wants to get rid of the porcupine, and the other one is saying, I don't think this is a good idea. There's all kinds of team dynamics that go on, and marriages can get right in the middle of it. So just remember, uh, God put that porcupine there for a purpose. Okay, uh, we're, we're going to just go quickly here. Uh, the working together, sharing the workload, it takes a, enormous pressure off the marriage when everybody does their part. But if you have one team member or two team members who are always taking off to go on vacation and so you have to step in and, and fill in, it affects your marriage. Um, you have to find a way for the team to, to share the loads evenly as much as possible. And uh, every member of the team, you want to encourage them to, to carry their part of the load and be aware of other couples and how that is affecting them and the singles and how that is affecting them. So uh, we um, have found that uh, if we pray together as a team and we play together as a team, uh, we help each other, we, we extend grace to one another, uh, God, God blesses our marriages as well, not just the team. And... Um, so uh, there, there are times for all of those things. Certainly, couples need to get off together by themselves, too. But uh, I think this is – hello? I think this is going dead. Okay. Good time to stop. No, we aren't So I'll just talk loudly. Um, ministry can be overwhelming. You're never going to meet all the needs around you. Medical work can swallow you up. You can't be God. Let God be God. There's always more patience. You need to have balance between your family and your work. Um, when something good, children, work, ministry, etc., becomes more engrossing and important than your spouse, it can destroy your marriage. So you need time management balance. And one of the things that with PACS, the Pan-African Academy of Christian Surgeons, when Dave, when Dave was able to start that, he got his life back. He wasn't always, always the one on call, and that helped immensely with our, our, our marriage. So don't burn out. Multiply yourself. So we want to end with just some tips. I won't leave because we're almost out of time. I'll just say these kind of quickly. Just, these are just things that we found. There really are more than ten, but I hope you'll remember at least ten. Uh, don't assume that he can read your mind, even after many years. You know, he's thinking it's really important to talk to each other. He, well, he's not going to read your mind. Uh, and I thought, you know, after all these years, he should be able to. But I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding. This is how we're going to start our week, uh, going tenting, camping on the beach. And he's thinking, what a great adventure we're having. Totally different. We are not on the same page Learn to listen to each other. Listening is very important. Um, pray together. When problems look insurmountable, pray again. Really important to pray together to get perspective. You are most vulnerable when you're both discouraged. Hopefully one of you will be a little more up than the other because you're a team. You need to encourage each other and pray together. Don't let it go. Pray through the problems. Choose your battles. Choose your battles in your marriage. Everything. Don't make everything a battle. You know, don't always have to get your own way. Uh, compromise. Say you're sorry. Very, very important. And the same thing in mission issues. You know, talk together. Consult your team. Um, help each other. 
that I've already mentioned. Work together if possible, but have some involvement in your spouse's uh, ministry. Then you have a common something to talk about. You can, um, you can un- help you understand each other. I think, especially when you're older, if you do ministry together, it can be wonderful for your marriage. You're together. You're, doing, you're, you're experiencing what God is doing in other people's lives together. And it's easier when the, when the children are older. Keep the flame alive. Need I say more? Very important. Um, what we've already said is laugh often. And I just want to say that Dave has really helped me in this. I, I can take life way too seriously. I can see I'm a problem solver. I can, I can focus on the problems, and he sees the big picture. I'm a detailed person. He's a visionary. So we really need each other. We complement each other, and I'm very, very grateful that God um, gave him to me to give me perspective in life. Have margins. Cry together. There will be things that, hard things that happen. Don't blame each other. Cry together. Um, explore together. Guard your heart. Very important. Um, okay, time apart can really be uh, a time of loneliness, especially if one has to make a trip or if there's any time that you're apart, you, you're more vulnerable. I just want to say be aware of that and protect yourself. You have an enemy that wants to destroy your marriage and get you off the field, and this is one way he can do it. So stay out of situations that can compromise your your marriage. Um, We are stronger together. I honestly believe that. David is my best friend. He brings perspective into my life. Um, He helps me see the bigger picture. Um, Guard your tongue and don't compare. Uh, Don't criticize each other to others. Uh, You are one. Don't compare. Have fun. Take time to do things together. Uh, This needs to be intentional or your work will swallow you up. And lastly, love God and each other deeply. And I think that is the most important. Always remember why you are there and who is with you. Thank you. So, in the five minutes that are left, we'll take your questions. And I wish there was more time, but uh, any questions? Yes. So, I know that here in the States, like our society's idea of marriage is kind of at odds with, with the church's idea of marriage. But here, like, if we have conflict or if we need advice, you know, there are older wives or couples in our church we can always go to. When you all were in Gabon in a completely different culture, that had, a, I'm sure, a completely different idea of marriage, when you had conflict or when you needed advice, who would you go to or who would you recommend that we go to if we find ourselves in a place like that. Well, God does provide people. It may not be on your team, uh, but sometimes they are on your team, or there'll be somebody really with wisdom that you can trust. It has to be someone you can trust who will keep confidence. Uh, sometimes it will be a national pastor. Uh, there's some wonderful pastors that we worked with, and they were great counselors. Sometimes you may have to go to uh, another another place, another team, or contact uh, another leader outside of the, the team. But uh, look for those people if you need them. They're there. Yes, in the back. What did you talk to Jim? Um, well, you know, I think that usually uh, this is where the other spouse needs to speak up and just say, look, 
you know, you, you're, you're doing too much work. We're not seeing you. Uh, you need to do something to change this. Uh, you know, and, and it's true there's a time to extend grace, but really the spouse needs to be protected of, of the partner, the other partner. And so speak up. Speak up to, you know, I really appreciated it. When I would be getting too exhausted, Becky would, would talk to our team leader and say, look, you know, you've got to, you've got to give us some help here. This is too much. Um, uh, you need to let us get away for, for a time. It's very difficult sometimes uh, when I was the only surgeon, I would go away and people would die. That's very difficult. Uh, you come back and you have three emergency surgeries waiting and you operate until 2 o'clock in the morning. But you still need to get away. Um, if you burn out, then you're going to leave. You'll be gone. So that's going to be even worse for the people. So I would say speak up for your spouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. I agree. It's hard. Yes. Will you write a book? Uh, <laughs> I did. I've actually written four books. Uh, <laughs> but not on marriage. <laughs> not on marriage. Um, I think Tim Keller's book is probably better than anything I could write. Um, yeah. I'm missing, I'm missing oh, oh, yes. Do you have any advice uh, dealing with each other's families? Um, I wouldn't say that we're experts on that because uh, my parents were killed when I was uh, 19 years old and Becky's father was taken prisoner. So we only had one parent, her mother, who was a saint. Who was very supportive. I mean, she's just an amazing woman and a great mentor to us. So God has blessed us really with uh, a family that's been quite strongly supportive. And uh, that can be a very tough issue. Um, and I, I don't have a lot of wisdom for that. I would just say really pray for your families. Respect them. Show them respect. But you need to obey God. And sometimes I remember one missionary who was just agonizing over his father who was an alcoholic. And he had left him back in the state, unsaved alcoholic father. And he was out in France. He was studying French. And he just agonized over his father. And so finally I just said to him, you know, you need to trust God that he can take care of your dad. And just right at the end of that year, someone led his father to Christ. Let God be God. Well, thank you very much. Thank you.